You know, we, we gather here every week, which is, is great, and we devote probably the biggest chunk of our time to the reading of God's Word and, and the preaching or explanation of God's Word. And I, I don't know if you've ever wondered why we do that. Um, and it is because we, we just believe that this, the God of the universe has spoken to us in the writings of Scripture. And there is nothing more that we want to do than to listen to what he said, understand what he has spoken to us, um, because it is uh, just such good news to us. And so uh, we will again this morning just spend the next 30, 40 minutes um, listening to his word. And, and my job this morning is to try to explain what that word says. Um, and so uh, by God's grace, he'll help me do that this morning. And as we turn to God's word today, we're going to meditate on what it means for God to be good, uh, that he is a good God. On the one hand, God's goodness is, is something that we can all grasp at a very basic level, right? We, we all uh, know what that means to be good. Uh, we have some notion of what that four-letter word means. Uh, but on the other hand, when we, when we look across the scriptures, God's goodness is a thing that is so deep and so staggering that we should be amazed every time we consider it. You don't have to read very far in your Bible before you come across the topic of God's goodness. It's literally on page one. Uh, and so we're going to start by reading the creation account from Genesis chapter one. John uh, Haluda is going to read that for us. And it is a longer passage. I've asked him to read the whole account. Uh, so it's a longer passage than we'd normally read. But as he reads it, don't struggle to hang on every word. Just let your mind uh, go with the narrative. Try to imagine all the variety of things that God creates and hear that repeated refrain. Uh, you'll hear it numerous times. And God saw that it was good. Um, so just enjoy hearing that. After the creation account, Kathy's going to come and read Jesus' words from Luke 18 that declare that God alone is good. After that, Ryan will read for us from Psalm 16, which is a reflection on what it looks like to experience God's goodness personally in our lives. And then lastly, Anna will come and read Titus uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 8 for us, which describe the good fruit that God produces in us by faith. Um, and so, John, if you could uh, go ahead and come forward and start us off. Let's read God's word together. Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, 
plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I, give, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Luke 18, 18 and 19. A rich ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Psalm 16, a miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. 
Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Titus 3, 1 through 8. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Well, in response to uh, what we just heard and read together, um, I want to spend our time considering God's goodness uh, by asking three questions together. Um, and so this will be the main kind of outline of, of our time together. Uh, and the three questions go like this. The first question we'll ask is, what is good? Meaning, what, what do those four letters mean? G-O-O-D. What does that word mean? Second, we'll ask, is God good? And then third, I want to ask, is God good to you? And so that's, that's the progression that we'll, we'll examine these texts in. What is good? Is God good? Is God good to you? You see, before we talk about goodness in relationship to God, we need to be clear on just what do we mean when we say the word good. We use that word from an early age. It was perhaps one of the uh, first words that my kids learned uh, after no. Um, so we use it. We, we know what it means uh, intrinsically, but, but could you define it? If someone came up to you and said, what does it mean for something to be good? Uh, what would you say? Well, we might think about how we use it. A, a good meal is one that's flavorful and filling, right? And a good politician might be one who's upstanding and devoted to serving her community. A good car will accelerate quickly and turn smoothly and require little maintenance. All of these things are good, we would say, and yet they have very little in common, don't they? Uh, the things that make a meal good... Uh, are not the same things that make a politician good or a car good. 
So what do we mean when we say that something is good? Well, at its most basic level, goodness is a recognition of approval. When we say that something is good, we're saying that we approve of it, that, that this thing is worthy of our approval. And so we would say, well, I approve of this meal because it is flavorful and filling. I approve of this politician because she is upstanding and devoted to serving her community. I approve of this car because it drives well and it doesn't require a lot of maintenance. Do, do you see how that works? That something is good when it has your approval. Notice that this is precisely how the word functions in the creation story that John read for us. Day by day, as God creates various aspects of our universe, he looks back at what he has made and he says, I approve. This is good. This happens six times. And then on the seventh, it's, it's accented even further because it says that in verse 31 of chapter 1 of Genesis, God saw everything he had made. So he looks at it all and behold, it was very good. Now, now let's just pause and consider the magnitude of this, brothers and sisters. Our Bible begins on page 1 by giving us a sevenfold example of what goodness is. God created a world that is perfectly good. He sat back and approved of everything. It was all in perfect balance. There was nothing lacking. The, the world as God created it was just primed and ready for abundance, for flourishing. All that God had made down to the very last molecule was very good. It was all worthy of His approval. And so that's what it means to be good. It means to be worthy of approval. Now we can't just stop here, I don't think, with a, a mere definition of goodness because aren't we immediately confronted with the reality that the good world of Genesis 1 is not the world that we live in today? There are many things in the world today, perhaps you encountered some even this morning, that are not good. Many things that are not worthy of approval. And so we, we kind of beg this question, what happened to God's good creation that turned it into what we find today? Where, you know, you, you log on to any news site, you look at any news feed, and what fills the uh, public stories and recent events is primarily bad news. We read about war, scandal, strife, violence. How can this be if everything God created was good, was worthy of approval? Where did this stuff come from? Well, the opening chapters of Genesis, had we read further, have more to say about this word good. We stopped reading after uh, the first few verses of chapter 2. If we would have continued on in chapters 2 and 3, we would have read about how the world was plunged into its current state. And guess what it has to do with? It all has to do with a tree, and that tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Maybe that's a coincidence. 
God told the first humans, don't eat of this tree. You can eat of any tree in the garden that I've put you. Just don't eat of this tree. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we're told that when those humans quote, this is chapter 3, verse 6, when they saw that the tree was good for food. Maybe not coincidence. When they saw that the tree was good for food, they ate. You see, the world today is a far cry from its original goodness and splendor because the Creator God and people disagreed over what was good. People approved. They gave their approval to the very thing God disapproved of. He said, don't do this. And they said, well, it looks good. I'll choose to do it. And since that moment, not good things have plagued God's good creation. And so, brothers and sisters, as we consider what it means to be good, as we consider the goodness of God, we are not doing mere vocabulary study this morning, are we? We're not doing just intellectual, theological exercise. Because as the Bible opens, it sets the scene for all that follows by prompting us to ask, what is good? What is worthy of your approval? Well, when we realize that, that good is, is linked to approval, a good next step is to ask, is God good? And so that's our second question this morning. Is God good? Is God worthy of approval? Now, we've already seen from the outset two opinions on that question, right? The overwhelming opinion of the biblical writers is that, yes, God is good. He is good both in His character and He is good in His works. God is good and God does good things. We see this as well in the creation story. When no one else existed, when no precedent was set, when God was most free to do absolutely anything He wanted, what does He do? Well, He creates a universe that is good. Why? Where, where does this impulse for goodness come from when nothing else exists but God? Well, like everybody else, His Good works are a window into his good character. He, he was prompted to do this good work in creation simply because he is good. That's what comes out of God. That's the opinion of the biblical writers. We'll see that through Scripture. We're going to trace that in just a second. But then we heard about a second opinion, and this was Adam and Eve's opinion. God told them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but what did they do? Well, they saw that the tree was good in their eyes for food, and they ate. And so in their minds, their opinion is that, well, God is not good, or God isn't as good as He could be. After all, He's, he's keeping this good-looking fruit from us. We see it, it looks good, yet He said, don't eat it. And that's a problem. God must not be as good as He could be. Now, you and I, we can probably identify with Adam and Eve's opinion. We all have firsthand experience doubting that God is good or that He is as good as He could be. 
It's easy to think that he is keeping good things from us or, or that in this circumstance or that circumstance, we need to reach out and secure our own good because otherwise we might not get it from God. And so because we're so familiar with that opinion, what I want to do over the next few moments is examine from the biblical authors, why do they say that God is good? And so I just invite you to hear their perspectives and try to see God the way they see him that he indeed is good. Now, Jesus himself gives us a great entry point to consider God's goodness in Luke 18. Kathy read this for us. A man comes to Jesus and he asks in verse 18, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we don't have the time to read the entire rest of the story. Jesus will answer this man's question, but he will not answer the man's question before adjusting the man's perspective on God. Because Jesus' first response is, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Now, this statement from Jesus has caused some rabbit trails. In the last 2,000 years since Jesus spoke these words, Many people have wondered if Jesus is somehow between the lines speaking to his divinity. Like if, if he's saying, well, only God is good, is he saying I'm not God or is he saying I am God? And I just want to put, put out the perspective that I just think that question is completely missing the point. Um, if you want to hear clear statements about Jesus' divinity, read the Gospel of John, read other places in the Gospel. He makes those clear statements. That is not what he's talking about here. What he's the point that he's making here is he's making a statement about God's goodness. He's saying to this man that the starting place for the question you're asking, the starting place for all of the big questions in life, like what must I do to inherit eternal life, is to recognize that God and God alone is good. The biblical writers portray God as a being who overflows in goodness like a fountain overflows with water. It's just in His nature to be good. God's goodness is woven through every story. It is behind every prophecy and warning. It is the motivation for every command and every one of God's promises. The Psalms in particular are just explicit about God's goodness. And so listen to how various writers in the Psalms declare God's goodness. Psalm 145 verse 9, The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Or Psalm 100 verse 5, The Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. Or Psalm 65, verses 9 through 11. You, O Lord, visit the earth and you water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. And your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. I I love that visual. You don't even have to climb up into God's wagon to see all the good things. They just flow out of the tire tracks of where he treads. 
That is how good he is. We heard in our call to worship, Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so is it any wonder that the writer of Psalm 119 wrote, You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. I want to be close to you. I want to know your ways because I just see so much goodness coming from you, Lord. Reflecting on the goodness of God, pastor theologian Arthur Pink wrote the following. He said, God is not only good, but goodness itself. The creature's good is an added quality. In God, it is his essence. God is infinitely good. The creature's good is but a drop, but in God there is an infinite ocean of good. God is eternally and immutably good, for he cannot be less good than he is, and there can be no addition made to him, so no subtraction from him. And so this is who our God is, brothers and sisters. He is good, and he is good all the time. God's character is always worthy of approval. He lacks nothing. He has no deficiencies. He does nothing even partially wrong. It's it's popular in our day and age uh, to think, and maybe you've heard this perspective, to think that, well, the picture of God that we see in the Old Testament is different than the picture we see in the New Testament. And the common notion is that in the Old Testament, God is more a God of justice and wrath. And then in the New Testament, he has a change of heart maybe. And, and God is now about showing goodness and love and mercy. I think I understand where that opinion comes from, uh, but, but it is wrong. <laughs> it is not true. If the God of the Old Testament were not fundamentally good, if he were not lavishing kindness or abounding in forgiveness, your Bible would be two pages long and none of us here would be around to read it. If God in the Old Testament was all about justice and wrath, our first parents would have been dead as soon as that fruit touched their lips. End of story. And so God is good when he instead banishes Adam and Eve out of Eden, but with clothing and with the promise of redemption. God is good to preserve Noah in the ark while cleansing his good creation of the wickedness of mankind. God is good to call Abraham out of pagan nations and promise to bless every family of the earth through him. God is good to free Israel from slavery in Egypt and lead them to a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God is good to give his law as a way to live in fellowship with him instead of separating himself from people forever. God is good to use war to limit the evil of the nations. God is good to keep a remnant of Israel alive even though their sin is so bad they are banished to Babylon. All of these are acts of God's goodness. And they should win every person's heart to him forever. And yet, all of God's goodness on display in the Old Testament is insufficient, insufficient to solve our biggest problem. Instead, when we read the Old Testament, 
we see that in the deepest parts of our being and in the deepest parts of every person since Adam and Eve, a persistent distrust of God, a tendency to disapprove of God, a preference to chase after what we think is good rather than desiring the God who is good. And of course, the Bible calls this tendency, this condition, sin. It's turning away from God. But the story that starts in the Old Testament and crescendos into the New Testament is this. That as determined as we are to ignore and run away from God, God is all the more determined to be good to His people. This is why Jesus of Nazareth arrived on planet Earth. The perfect Son of God. He left heaven and came here where our headlines are bad news to show that God had not stopped being good. And in that great one culminating act, Jesus would display the heights of God's goodness on the cross. Jesus is the only person who had never sinned against God, and yet he carried the sin of the world on his back, as it were, paying for it by dying the death that sinful people deserve. It was horrific. It was bloody. You would have screamed and beat your chest if you would have been there. And yet he did it. And having paid our debts, God's goodness overflowed to us through Jesus and an offer of forgiveness. Your sin against the all-good God It can be forgiven. Perhaps some of us have become too familiar with that. And it seems like, oh yes, I know that it has been forgiven. No, consider this. As you and I have chased other gods, God has not given us what we deserve. He has given us goodness in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness. Some people think that Christians are too hard on themselves by stressing our need to be forgiven. But imagine, and some of you know this firsthand, imagine how it feels for someone you love to distrust you, to disapprove of you, to avoid you, maybe to write you off entirely. Some of you have experienced that. And it stinks. And it hurts. And it's evil. And it is the very thing that we have done to God thousands of times in our life. Yet He has never written us off. Instead, He gave up what He treasures most, His Son, so that you and I could be saved And so we Christians are not too hard on ourselves when we talk this way. We are simply overcome by the goodness and loving kindness of God in Jesus Christ. We we heard it in Titus 3, did we not? For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, 
slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Maybe you're being too hard on yourself. No, no, no. Because when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, despite all of that, He saved us, not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us in little measure, no, richly, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's good. That's good news. You you see, in other words, what, what Paul's getting at as he writes to a man named Titus is that the goodness of God is quite literally unstoppable. You can throw evil at it. You can throw sin at it. And nothing will deter God from being good. The cross of Jesus Christ is just proof positive of that. Stephen Charnock was a theological giant of the 17th century, and as he contemplated the goodness of God, he said this. He said, When mankind fell from his created goodness, God would evidence that he could not fall from his infinite goodness, that the greatest evil could not surmount the ability of God's wisdom to contrive, nor the riches of God's bounty to present us a remedy for it. Divine goodness would not stand by a spectator without being reliever of that misery mankind had plunged himself into. But by astonishing methods, by which he means the cross of Christ, by astonishing methods, it would recover humanity to happiness. Is God good? Oh, yes, he is. He is all good. He is the original good. He is the highest good. And he will never, Stop being good. This is what the Bible shows to us and tells us. And so this leads us to our last question. Is God good to you? Now, there are two ways that we can ask this question. The the first is to ask, well, is God good to you in that has God been good to you? Has he shown good to you? And I hope by everything we've just talked about, you would see, yes, God has shown each of us good. He has been good to each of us. He has sustained us this day. He created us. He has offered us each forgiveness of all of our sins through Jesus Christ. He is good to us. But the other way, the second way of asking, is God good to you, is to ask, well, to you, is God good? Is God good in your eyes? Do you see Him as worthy of your approval? You see, we all desire good for ourselves. Every human desires good things. Do you desire God? Is He the good thing that you want most? Psalm 16 I think is just a spectacular example of what it means to desire God as the good thing that we want 
In verse 2, we heard David say to God, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Fathom, fathom what he's saying there. He's saying, God, I could have everything. If I don't have you, mm, not good. Or, God, I could be stripped of everything. And if I have you, mm, that's good. That's good. When David looks around, he, like Jesus in Luke 18, concludes that God alone is good. If, God, if David could choose to have anything, he would choose knowing God because in verse 5 he says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. David has no regrets about this. In verse 6 he says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And if we know anything about David's life, I mean, he may have penned these words running for his life, right? Lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Because he goes back again and again to God. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. And when David thinks about how the Lord will not abandon him, he says, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. When David is in the presence of God, all things are right in his world. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Is that how you think of God? Is He everything to you? Can you say to Him, I have no good apart from you? Or, if you would make out a list of good things that you want, is God number two or three or four or five? Is He somewhere further down the list? You see, brothers and sisters, Psalm 16 is not just some dream. It and other scriptures like it, they describe the life that God wants for you. It can be reality for you. Jesus came so that you could know God in this way. So that you could be taken with God, smitten with God, overjoyed in God. He puts His Spirit inside of us to awaken us to the fact that we have no good apart from Him. That knowing God is the path of life, of fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. The same David wrote in Psalm 4, verse 7, he said, you, speaking to God, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You see, one of the marks of of saving faith is that we begin seeing God like that. We begin equating God with with just a party, with a feast for our souls. As, As, you know, feasting is to the body, so God being you is with my soul. And if that doesn't describe you here this morning, if, if you hear that experience, you say, I don't know that I've, I've ever 
related to God that way. We'll hear God's invitation to respond in repentant faith. Turn away from your sinful disapproval of God or or approval of other things above him and admit that you're wrong. That's what repentance is. And then believe that Christ really was offered for your sin and mine, that, that forgiveness is available to you and that God really does want to show you good right now, here, today, through Jesus Christ. That is faith. Set the Lord before you like David did in Psalm 16. Devote time to His Word, to to talk to Him in prayer, to talk about Him with other believers, to share Him with unbelievers. You will not have to convince Him to show you His goodness. I I had this, this surprised me this week. It shouldn't, knowing God, but it surprised me this week as I was reading in Exodus. Uh, maybe some of you are familiar with that story where, where Moses is leading the people out of Egypt and he's up on a mountain with God and he makes this really bold request to God. He says, Lord, show me your glory. Now that's a big ask. Okay, that's not some small uh, little request. God, show me your glory. Because God's glory, I mean, he could have shown him, here is my might and my strength, Moses. Here is my sovereign rule where I say anything and it happens, Moses. Here is my wisdom that is so far above you that you cannot even fathom it. He could have done any of those things. You know what God says? When Moses says, Show me your glory. He says this. This is Exodus 33, verses 18 and 19. I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim to you my name, the Lord. God's arm does not have to be twisted to show us his goodness. He delights to do it. Now, we see that in Scripture, and at the same time, I just want to acknowledge that for some of us perhaps today, we have asked to see good things from the Lord, and we are uh, struggling. We have not received what we hoped for or perhaps what we expected. And if you're in that place, and I, I hope I'm speaking to a small number of us this morning, but if you're in that place, just know that's a very real category for the people of God. It does not mean that God is not good to you. It does not mean that He does not have good designs for you. Sometimes He shows us His goodness by pouring abundance on us. And sometimes, though it hurts, He shows us His goodness by withholding abundance from us. And yet, proving to us that he indeed is good. He does it both ways. And so if you're in one of those moments where you just think, it is a struggle for me in this circumstance to see God's goodness, that is why you have a church. It's why you have a family around you that can pray with you, that can come alongside you, that can remind you. I have put reminders in my phone Um, Remind me at such and such a time every day to check in with so-and-so or to see if they have uh, encountered God today. Do that for one another. It's why we're called together. 
Whatever circumstances you find yourself in today, as you experience God's goodness, you can expect two things to happen. First, you will naturally respond in worship and gratitude. Your heart will, like David's, overflow with thanksgiving and joy in knowing this good God. But a second thing will happen as well. Earlier we read from Titus 3 how God's goodness appeared to us in Jesus and and saved us. But I stopped reading in verse 8. Anna also read for us verse 9 that says, Insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. In other words, God knows that we become like those we approve of. And if God is good in our eyes, if He is worthy of our approval because of His goodness, then we will want to be like Him. We'll, be, we'll want to be a part of His goodness extending to those around us. Having tasted the goodness of God, we will be, quote, zealous for good works. Well, that's where we're going to stop in reflecting on the goodness of God, but I can think of no better next step than prayer. Psalm 25, verse 8 and 9 says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble His way. And so, brothers and sisters, God invites us, because He is good, to make our requests known to Him, and He will instruct us. He will lead us in what is right as we humble ourselves before Him. And so let's pray now together. I'll begin, and then you are all encouraged to prayer prayers of confession or any requests you want to make known to the Lord. Let's pray to Him now. Lord, thank You that You are good. Thank You that from cover to cover of our Bible, from the very beginning of human history down through today, You are shown to be good. Lord, we acknowledge that though we doubt Your goodness many times, still You uh, pursue us in mercy and kindness. And Lord, we just pray to You now, knowing that You hear, knowing that You are not distancing Yourself from any one of us, but have drawn near to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we pray to You now, Lord.